Hello and welcome to this special edition of Daytime Drinking with the Crafty Boys. Over the next two episodes we'll be taking you into Nottingham Craft Beer Week and Nottingham Craft Beer Festival. In this episode we have collated a a few sound bites that we made following the various events that we attended throughout the week and uh, we just gave a little recap on what our thoughts were and towards the very end of this podcast you can find a few clips from the events themselves and I would just like to apologize in advance the audio on this lot is not the greatest so this one here is strictly for the die-hard Crafty Boys fans so without further ado go ahead and enjoy and we will resume our normal duties soon with the release of episode 10 in a week or so enjoy enjoy it half as much as we did just kicked off craft beer week in Nottingham with the uh, Femme Ale Talks down at Bunker Hill. Very nice event, very nice beers too. Diego from uh, the, the Wildcard uh, Brewing. We had, uh, I think it was Nicola from Welbeck. Um, yeah, Welbeck Abbey. Um, we had the host. We have to look up her name as well. And then um, it was... Someone who worked with camera. Yeah, it was the, the, the youth leader of um, the Nottingham camera. Yeah, she's desperately trying to get more people to drink craft beer, and, or just yeah. beer in general. And I think she's only 22 as well, so I think she did a, a good job of oh, definitely. holding uh, rank with the rest. But yeah, it was very much an opinionated uh, piece on obviously uh, the diversity of women in uh, the craft beer and brewing in general. Um, and yeah, I think they talked about some important points. Yep. Not necessarily having the answers for them, but I think just in general, like making awareness bringing awareness to the fact these topics and yeah i think my personal my personal highlight was when you uh, you asked your question about <laughs> uh how how the average drinker can help i thought that was yeah. pretty good yeah um do you think there's anything like the average drinker can do to help like diversity and get more people drinking beer like what could the is there anything that what do you think the average drinker can do to help improve diversity so and, the average drinker yeah. Great question. What can the average drinker do to help encourage diversity in, in the beer industry or in beer drinking generally? Yeah. All of the above? Okay. I would say attend events you wouldn't normally attend. So I would say go along to your, I don't know, your local bar that has really good beer and attend the local football, maybe if you wouldn't normally do so. Yeah. So you as the average drinker, just look at what you're attending. It's, it's easy to attend the same kind of beardy beard, beer events all the time. By all means, go to them as well. But just try and branch out a little bit in terms of where, where, where you're going and where you're drinking really good beer. My answer would probably be, if you are a beer drinker and you've got mates that are not, take them to the pub. Just go to the pub. Have a nice evening. Go to the pub quiz. Go to whatever event. Go Just go and have a pint with them. But encourage them when you're there to try the beers. Even if they don't want a beer, they don't want to buy a beer, the person behind the bar, if you're going to the right kind of pub, will be more than happy to let people try little samples. So, make it your mission, everyone who is a beer drinker, to find a friend who doesn't drink beer and take them to the pub. <laughs> that sounds like a fun way of something. It's not actually. a bad gig, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it probably won't apply to anybody in this room, but 
for people who seem a bit hard, it's a bit surprising to see that you don't normally see that kind of person drink. We just don't say anything. Just let them drink their beer. And beer. <laughs> 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 As a great answer. Let other people just drink it. And the, to summarise the answer, it was pretty much um, just take more people to have more drinks. Yeah. Which, yeah, I think, as I said, I don't think you're going to um, convince anyone to start drinking beer who doesn't necessarily like it, but you never know. Like, I, st I still think beer cocktails is the way forward. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it is a case of that. Like, it's introducing people to something that's maybe not the norm in craft beer, yeah. but they like. Yeah. And then you sort of like work your way in, you become more accustomed to the, the taste of flavours. Whatnot, but yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's a good one for all uh, all our listeners. You know, and take I, out your non-beer drinking friends and have them try a couple of beers. And we tried some really good beers. Like for example, I had the Cloudwater DIPA and this excellent stout, the Milkshake Stout by uh, I can't remember the name of the brewery now. Well, no. Wiper and True. Wiper and True, very very good. Yeah, and, and we that also red tried... thing that you had, the red, the Raspberry Vice. Yeah, the, 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 no, it's the Raspberry Wheat. Oh, it's the Raspberry Wheat. Yeah. Um, which was uh, phenomenal. But we also tried, I think, three of the uh, wildcard. We had their porter, we had their blonde, and we had their IPA. Yep. Um, all really nice. I like the blonde. Yeah. And the IPA was decent. Like, the hops were on a different thing. Uh, they, were, they were all really decent. Nothing too special, nothing wacky, nothing off the wall. But they were all solid, solid beers. Yeah. And next time I see a Welbeck brew, I'm definitely going for it. Definitely, yeah. But I've got to say, like, from the... The short times they did actually talk about the beer, the brewing experience, they all seem like really on top of their knowledge. They're all, oh, yeah. all, all come from a science background and it's brilliant to just see people with a passion. Yeah, when Jaeger was talking about how, you know, London water really lends itself for brewing a porter, I thought that was fascinating stuff and how, you know, it makes it much more difficult to make a lager because obviously the water's not as soft as it needs to be. Yeah. But overall, yeah, lovely event and I think a great way to start off craft beer week and... Yeah. We're about to go to Keen's Head, I believe. Yeah, to try the the, the Wyland Brewery Takeover. The Wyland Brewery Takeover. Yeah. Who I think uh, we tried in maybe episode six. We've had one of their um, Why the Water Is or something. Yeah. Um, we tried to. Yeah, well. We're going to see what they've got. Well, remember, though, if it is episode six. <laughs> That's a random guess. <laughs> and uh, we should be uh, keeping you informed as we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah, so we're here in the Keen's Head in Nottingham uh, for the, the Wyland Brewery takeover. Myself and Parab, we've just uh, gone for a half of the Wyland Macchiato, which is the hazelnut porter, uh, and no, sorry, the hazelnut praline and coffee porter. And what do you think? Uh, you know what, you just, you just get the hazelnut and the praline so vividly. It's, uh, yeah, it's something else. Yeah, you have the coffee just at the end towards there with the bitterness, but also that creamy flavour to it. And, and you know what? I don't know if I've ever seen a beer this black. Yeah, it is. Literally no light is penetrating here. There's a bit of light coming in through the window, but it's just it's not having any of it. Yeah. I was going to say it's fantastic, and it is, it's, it's very, very rich. It's definitely sort yeah. of like pudding in a glass, this. Yeah. But, I wouldn't have a pint of this. Like, I don't know if half a pint is too much. Yeah. It's fantastic, though. Yeah, lovely, lovely stout. Yeah, just just like a posh dessert. Yeah, yeah. It's like if Goo made a beer. Or something. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Extraordinary, fantastic. What was your comment earlier? Like Nutella? Yeah, it's like, Nutella. It's, yeah, it's like a posh Nutella in a drink. Yeah, I think it just 
I think it's that hazelnut that just slaps your tongue, tickles it a little bit as well. Yeah. And then you get that sweetness of the praline and afterwards you just, you just gently sort of like... Lovely aftertaste. Yeah, yeah it's, you just... There's a creaminess to it all. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I think definitely a great first beer from, from Wyland. Very impressed. Crafty boys here. What up, what up, what up? We've uh, just left the Stratford Haven uh, in West Richard in Nottingham. Uh, we've just uh, had a little uh, sit down and listen to... Listening to the Roger Props. The Roger Props. Yeah, he had, his, he had his guide to IPAs on the table, his you know camera, good beer guides. I, was say, I think he's wearing the camera good beer. I think he's wearing the camera good beer guide for like, what, like 20 years at least? Yeah, he was just flexing. Yeah, forever. He was name dropping breweries like there was no tomorrow. Yeah, I yeah. went to Adlands recently. Yeah, I went to uh, Beaver Town recently. Oh, who, who showed you around? Oh, uh, Logan the owner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think about him, mate. I think about him. But no, yeah. yeah. He, he absolutely just has a complete knowledge of all the beer out there oh, yeah. and just the way it's developed. I think he's especially in the UK and yeah, he seems to have a run because I think it used to all be bitters. Say like 20 years ago, it was all about your bitters, and then sort of like lagers came in the 80s. And I was saying, obviously, there's all these resurgence of these sort of like peasant beers from the rest of Europe, the Saisons, your Lambic, your Sours. She's just called them peasant beers. Yeah. Well, then, well, I don't think he called them peasant beers, but basically he was saying that, obviously, these were traditional styles that were uh, brewed by farmers. Okay. And whatnot, like peasants. Yeah, back in the... You know, old days. I'm not, not talking about like 20th century here, like older. Besides the talk, which we caught very little of, we uh, yeah. really enjoyed the beers, like a great selection of beers on. Fantastic, fantastic. You've got Northern Monk with the uh, Neapolitan ice cream. There was Siren Craft there with their. Uh, I'm not even sure what it was actually, but the suspended chaos. It's chocolate um, ginger cake, I believe. Yeah, no, no, so there was a suspended chaos and then there was the Caribbean chocolate cake as well. There we go. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. That, that Caribbean chocolate cake was one of the richest stouts I've ever had. One of the richest stouts I've ever had. And shout out to Castle Rock for their Raspberry Ripple. So refreshing. Like, yeah, I want to replace all my lagers with that. Their, their version two of the stuff they're coming out with, they're sort of like, you know, more... Refined. Yeah, they take on more sort of like craft beers. Absolutely phenomenal. I had their, uh, as well from, you know, Series 2 or Volume 2 or whatever they're calling them, um, I had their just the Session IPA. Mm. 4% lovely it's just so drinkable it's a great peasant beer yeah great peasant beer <laughs> yeah peasants Where, where's all the rich man beers like, where's, what's, what's the rich man beers Where, where's the, where's the gold leaf in my beer yeah. <laughs> gold leaf you're talking about tobacco now like, oh god no right sorry I, I don't know why what did I don't even sell tobacco anymore what's going on no, um, he definitely seems to know his business. He's got a book out at the minute now, IPA, and I think, um, yeah, I think I might buy it actually. It'd be quite interesting read. Uh, most people, like, he's obviously lived a life. He says he, and I agree with him actually. I was, I was well happy when he said that. Um, one of the uh, other um, customers asked, "Where's the best place, like you know, on the continent to go?" It is, and sort of like you know, any sort of like hidden gems you know of, and he just said Belgium. And I was like, Belgium, baby. Belgium has some of the best beers in the world. 
Yeah, and he was, as well, he was talking about camera and how it's a part of like the International European um, Consumer Board. I can't remember exactly what they're called, they've got a proper name. Um, I completely butchered it. Um, but yeah, apparently one of the main countries uh, in Europe that isn't in it is Germany. Isn't in it? Yes. Isn't is there a reason for that? Uh, apparently because they think they just brewed the best beer. There's no reason to be in some international board because they, they've got it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, but overall, actually a very good little event. Good yeah, beer. I, again. Interesting thank, talk. Yeah, thank you very much uh, to uh, Nottingham Craft Beer Week and uh, Festival coming up soon. Um, yeah, brilliant. Interestingly, um, we, we came across a guy from Junkyard and we're hoping that we can you know, eventually accost him to come onto our podcast. Yeah, fingers crossed. He's the, he is the head beer buyer by the sounds of things. The, the manager, the, what? the big kahunas. What a profession though, you know? Uh, I've, hey, I've got so many it? questions for him. So many questions for him. He's telling us he gets 1,200 emails every Monday morning. Yeah, well, no, a list of 1,200 uh, beers from brewers every go. Monday morning. But yeah, that's... Ugh. And he's got to rattle that down to, like, less than 20. Yeah. So hopefully we can ask him these big questions. How the hell does he do that? Show us the spreadsheet. <laughs> Crafty Boy signing out. Crafty Boy signing out after uh, another great event on the lead-up to Nottingham Beer Festival. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Crafty Boy's here. Cameron uh, came along to the uh, the Peter Brown talk down at Herbert Kilpin. We treated ourselves to uh, a Black Iris Stout and a, we're going to mispronounce this, Laguinatas. Laguinas IPA. And it was a, an interesting talk. We were provided with uh, some porter and uh, a Citra hopped pale ale, I believe it was. And, um, yeah, interesting talk. I didn't realise the, the impact water had on beers and how Burton-on-Trent is apparently located at just the right place to produce amazing pale ales and London is placed just right for the, the porters. Like it was meant to be, almost. Um, yeah, a very sweary dude. Yeah. He swore a lot. Um, and... Yeah, I, uh, I I couldn't get some FaceTime with him. I, I wish I'd asked him if he'd be available for a podcast, but um, who knows? Maybe we'll see him out and about on uh, on Friday at Craft Beer Festival. Nottingham. One can hope. One can hope. I want to. I want to. What do I want? I want, I want to drown in his beer knowledge. I want to be immersed in everything he knows about the craft. But this was a, a short, weird recap. Crap, so we've just been to the beer tasting with Melissa Cole. Managed to snap up a cheeky little autograph. Yeah, down the Bunker Hill. So we had uh, six beers uh, in the end, third. And yeah, she, she's she's funny, she's informative. She's yeah, my dream woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, she's married. Yeah, and unfortunately, we didn't ask her to come onto the podcast, yeah. but another time. Yeah. So. So um, Bunker Hill was serving up all of the uh, the females, the, 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 the female. Uh, we had the well-baked females, pivo, yeah. lovely. Yeah, lager stuff, and just, I've got to say, I've had a lot of uh, misconceptions about lager in the past. I think, honestly, yeah. mainly because of the big breweries, but it was it was refreshing, it was light, and it got that nice bitterness that you want from a beer mm. that you just don't get in any of the big big brands. Commercial lagers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
And, um, what else did we move on to? We had... Yeah. Uh, then it was the... Uh, was it the Saison? We had a Saison, but I feel like there was something between the Saison and the Lager. Yeah, no, sorry. It was the... Um, the Oat... Yes, um, the Oat... oat, oat steel Cut Oat yeah. Pale Ale. Uh, Burnt Hill. Um, the Oat Cut Steel Burnt Ale, which was actually gluten-free. Very citrusy. You yeah, wasn't expecting it. Almost a, a slight... Um, had a coriander spice to it, almost. Mm. Um, yeah. It was very interesting. A bit, a bit, yeah, very citrusy, tropically, almost, yeah. Uh, then next up we had the Saison. The Saison that I actually had uh, as my uh, original beer. Oh, we got a green light. <laughs> <laughs> we had the Saison. Um, again, um, fascinating to find out that the history of the Saison was basically, you know, we're giving this away to all like the poor fucks who are working on our farm. Yeah, it was basically just farmers, whatever they could find, and they put it in a pot and they... Uh, brewed it up. So that's sort of like where it came from, but again, that sort of like comes from that, that spiciness, it's like souring, and just general anything that you can get. I think they quite often used to put grapes in it, like traditionally, but this one was very sort of like clear and a traditional saison. Hmm. Yeah, it was very nice. And, uh, uh, FYI, we're just on our way to Fox and Grapes. Fox and Grapes, great pub in Stanton. Um, they've got um, brew by numbers takeover. Yeah. Um, so what was, a, what was the fourth beer? That was a Bock, right? No, no, that was the Berlin of Ice, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. So sour. Yeah, so, 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 so sour. So, so I think you could almost hear in the room when everyone took their first sip. It was almost, yeah, a suck back. It was so sour. But I've got to say, by the time I got to the end of the one third, I, I, I did really like it. I know you didn't. Personally, I was having Bakewell yeah. tart all over again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then, then it was the Bock. Um, obviously, very just in the traditional German style. Enjoyed the Stone Box, seven percent. Yeah, yeah, Stone, um, and I think the Berlin of Ice was actually by Stone as well. Uh, uh, Berlin Stone. Yeah. yeah absolutely fantastic. Um, the Box, seven percent. You wouldn't have massively got. Didn't that taste it to be honest. Yeah, no, not you at all. Definitely told the uh, increased uh, alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, very malty, almost biscuity, a bit of sweetness. Um, like um, uh, Emily said, a lovely woman uh, we were talking to uh, along with her um, partner, partner, Ben. Her friend, yeah, Ben. Um, he said, uh, what was it? Um, what was originals? I think that definitely came over sort of like toffee, caramel. 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 Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and hopefully uh, they might be in the podcast soon. Um, and then, yeah, finally, it was the Ace of Spades uh, Wildcard Brewery uh, Porter. And we were told that was chosen because of the uh, the amount of lactose intolerance in the room, but personally, I would have gone for the Wiper and True milkshake on the last one. Yeah, that, that stout is insane. Absolutely insane. Although, that, I don't think that takes anything away from the, the Wildcard Porter. no, of course I mean, not. It's, it's a very solid porter, but I think that's it, it really. It's just a, a porter. Whereas the, the milkshake, it's, it's got everything going on everything going on everything yeah everything everything, everything. no sorry <laughs> i got a little carried away and now into the fox and grapes for uh, brew by numbers yeah but it looks kind of dead so we'll see what happens no, no, it's also, yeah it's also well we, we talked to melissa cole afterwards and, and she we got was, an autograph yeah she's amazing yeah she's absolutely amazing, amazing. And if you still want to hear some more, here are just some of the various clips that we recorded throughout Nottingham Craft Beer Week. Please again excuse the quality of the audio. Hi, it's Natalie from uh, Canberra. So you'll be uh, your 
members coordinators, that's the official title. Um, so we're just going to talk a little bit about the industry itself, how craft beer has been changing over the last five years, at least as a marker of how long we've been doing female festival, um, how the demographic of drinkers has kind of been changing, um, and how the industry itself is changing as well, and how kind of gender works with all that stuff as well, and representation. So um, I am not a brewer, many people ask me where they can buy my beers, the answer is nowhere. Um, <laughs> Uh, occasionally a home brewer. Um, my specialism, I'm a media feminist studies person um, and uh, specialise in television, um, television comedy specifically. Um, but that kind of, the reason why that makes sense in terms of looking at craft beer, and I will, I will justify it, um, is that I look at kind of creative labour and how we kind of categorise different types of creative labour and I kind of see craft beer and brewing as a very creative industry, increasingly so I think, I hope a lot of you would agree. Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of my background. Um, and Female Festival has been running in Norwich now for five years. We've been in Brighton for three years, and this is our first time here in Nottingham. So thank you for having us. Um, and the idea came about while I was talking to um, a guy called Benjamin Thompson, a very good landlord of the Plasterous Arms in Norwich. If any of you have ever been there. Um, and we were talking about kind of women-led events, celebrating women in the industry, how do we go about doing that, and decided to put on a, a festival where all of the taps of the classrooms were dedicated to being brewed by women, or brew teams that have women kind of at the forefront of the creative process and designing the beers and that kind of thing. And we were lucky enough for it to be a, a lovely success, had a lot of like, female-fronted bands on, um, and sorts of sort of tactics and all those kinds of things. Um, went down to Brighton, did that for three years there at the Marble Pub, um, and it's been a lovely reception down there as well. And now we're not in, so thank you very much again for having us. Um, so I'm going to put a bit of a general question out there just to sort of get people's backgrounds. I'm sure you're kind of familiar, especially with, with all of our panelists. But um, uh, firstly, David, could you tell us a little bit about your beer journey? Firstly, as a drinker, when you came to drinking beer, um, and what kind of styles you started with, and then maybe a little bit about how how Wildcard started from from very little and became something much bigger. Okay. Well, my name is um, Jaya. I'm from uh, the Wildcard Brewery based in Walthamstow in um, East London. Um, so my drinking story really started here in Nottingham, uh, which is where I'm from. Um, one of my favourite beers growing up was uh, Castle Rock. Uh, I was playing, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of people in the room. So and I also went to uni in Loughborough. So for me, it's all of, it's, all, it's always been about the kind of, that kind of cask hoppy. That, that's really what I was brought up on, and that's my own background. Um, so I kind of moved to London um, in 2010. I was working in uh, chemical training after I um, did a chemical engineering degree at Loughborough University. Um, and I absolutely hated my job. So I, I quit my job with no plan. Uh, I got a job in a plan. And uh, a few friends, uh, Will, who's, who's over there in my audience, and um, a friend, Andrew, as well, um, they basically decided to start a brewery. And were like, Jacob, can you give us a hand? And I was like, yeah. And that was it. That <laughs> was 2012. And that's uh, uh, however many years later. So that's really our story. Um, so for me, today, it's kind of like coming home. Well, it looks literally coming home. <laughs> So uh, all my family are here, uh, so yeah. yeah, so that's fine. Lovely, thank you. And uh, so for that same question, what's your relationship with beer in terms of trying it in pubs for the first time, or maybe outside the pub? Um, and um, how well that kind of came about? So uh, my story probably also
as well, um, a bit like Jager. My background is actually I'm from Suffolk, so not from Odds um, at all, so I'm going to swap it. Um, and I did a degree in microbiology, loved science, uh, was really interested in kind of how microorganisms work. I did a lab project in my third year and absolutely hated it. I thought, Jesus Christ, I've started a degree where I'm going to be in a lab. Um, so decided that's not what I wanted to do. But I was in Sheffield, and there's quite a lot of beer in Sheffield. It's like Nottingham, and there's lots and lots of breweries all over. Um, so discovered real ale. My dad, when I was just going off to university, had introduced me to beer. Um, so proper beer in the pub. He was very proud to always go to the village pub and that pint of beer, which I quite enjoyed. Adnams usually, which is not bad. I tried to avoid green candy. Um, and came up to Sheffield, discovered more beer, discovered I really liked it, and that I wanted a job using my science, but not in a lab. So standard third year kind of panic, as most people do when they're doing a degree. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, and one of my lecturers suggested food and drink production, specifically beer, and at that point I was interested. So I went down to Kellermining, if anyone knows Kellermining Brewery um, in Sheffield. One of the first breweries that was sort of in the uh, craft beer movement 20 years ago, so really started off microbreweries again. Um, I turned up and literally asked for a job. And they initially laughed and were like, but you're young and a girl, which is quite complicated. And I said, no, really, I do actually quite like beer and I would like to be a brewer. So I said, fine, come and work for us. Um, I worked for them for a couple of months and at that point they had met Alison and William, who own the Welbeck Estate, which is, if anyone doesn't know it, it's out in Worksup way. Um, it's a bit like Chatsworth, but on a smaller scale. Uh, and they decided they wanted to set up a whole raft of enterprises around food and drink and the arts. And so a brewery would be perfect for it. So I was very lucky, really, just that I turned up right place, right time, was given the opportunity to set up a brewery, and we're now eight years on, and I'm still there. Very much there. Um, so, Natalie, you are Young Members Coordinator for uh, the National Project Camera. So, how did you come to being a beer fan and how did you get into being involved with camera as well? Just always a little comment. It's just 
I don't know if it's working on generally on an industrial state, where you, you're probably the only female on an industrial state, but it's from 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 my perspective, I would say it's not been it's not been particularly easy. From the guy that installed our kit, he called me the C word. Like it's just been it's been so it's been so many things. Like I can't even. Did you pay him? I would have not paid him. This is post payment. <laughs> this is post payment. But it's a. It's it, it it's just everything, and I think it's the I think it's the culmination of the small things, um, not so much the individual instances we can say well that happened or all that happened. It's the it's the it's the many many times it kind of builds up, and you kind of feel like you're about to explode. Like um, recently, um, we just passed. We just got a brand new forklift, so a lot of the team have now got forklift licenses, and um, just. Just stuff like when, when you're trying to put a, for, uh, a pallet on the back of a truck. You know, if one more person tells me how to drive this pallet truck, I'm going to explode. I know how to do it. I have a license. Would you like to see it? But it's just, it's just, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is hard. No, it's just, it is hard, but I don't know. I do, I definitely encounter people being surprised. Definitely. And pleasantly surprised a lot of the time. There's people who are out of this is how you how you act as well, isn't it? If you if you rise to it, you know they just they're just idiots. Just don't talk to them again. I don't know. You can't help but rise. You can't help but rise sometimes. And I, I have been in singing matches with like like for example our landlord and we don't talk because he refuses to speak to me, and he refuses to speak to me because I'm I'm the girl in charge of in charge of the um, the site, and he he doesn't want to have a conversation with me. Like he walks past me to speak to the guys. Like it's, but we also want to rent the unit. So unfortunately, we just have to, we just have to kind of put up with it. You do. I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I don't encounter a lot of that. I probably, I, maybe it's different in London. I don't know. Do you think? Do you think it's? I, mean, I think you just have to really look at the position of women globally. I mean, um, I, I don't think it's something that is unique to beer. I think it's something. Oh, in a lot of different industries, it's 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 prevalent. I think I think equality is fifty percent, but I think anything less than that is not good enough. Yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right. It's the, the kind of drip 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 effect of having those negative comments, or even having comments that just set you apart a little bit, that make it kind of something you're aware of, but maybe some other people don't have to be aware of it. Um, which kind of brings me on to my next question. So we kind of talked about this a little bit um, off mic. Um, so yeah, we've been doing this festival for five years. There really wasn't as much of a conversation about women in brewing when we started and it's kind of built and built and built. We've been a part of that, obviously not necessarily the only part of it. Um, but one of the things is kind of making that creative labor of, of brewers and people who work in the industry general uh, really visible. So really calling attention to women who are being those creative driving forces in the industry. And one of the questions that I kind of wanted to ask is that in this point when craft beer has really changed, what we think of when we think of beer drinkers, what we think of when we think of brewers. <laughs> it's nature saying, you're doing a great job, guys. Um, um, what's, what, what are the pros and cons of being called a female brewer or a, you know, a woman in the industry, those kinds of things? Would you prefer to just be called a brewer or are there times where it's important to kind of identify as someone who deals with things that other people don't necessarily deal with? Who would like to start with? I think that the, 
now, um, I think it would be good to highlight that we are females in the industry, to highlight that for other women who perhaps want to start drinking beer but they don't want the stereotypes they don't want to like when you're drinking it, oh that's not very legal like. I think it's important to highlight it at the moment to get to me to normalise it almost to say there are a lot of females who are in this industry they like drinking beer and it is okay. But if you've got some malted barley or you've got some grapes in the glass, you can take your brilliant uh, uh, and so the next stage in, in brewing, and this is not a kind of fact on brewing, what we do is we kind of dissolve those grains, we don't dissolve the grains, we strip out the sugars from the grains, the starch and everything, and the flavour compact into water. And water is probably the most overlooked ingredient. It's also the most complex one uh, in this talk. Water is not just water. When water falls from the sky, which you call rain, um, it's H2O and a little bit of carbonic acid. And then it falls on the ground and it sinks through soil or rock, shale or whatever, and it makes the deposits or whatever it's flowing through. It comes into the ground streams, rivers, uh, then it comes out of springs, it comes out of wells or whatever. By the time we take it out of springs or wells, it's quite characteristics of well everything that follows rain. And those characteristics vary completely depending on where that rain is falling or what kind of geology is falling. When, when the French talk about terroir, the wine, it's absolutely true. You know, the of weather uh, and location of climate really do affect how food grows. But the best thing is the translation of the word terroir is land and taste. And the water you've been brewing really is land and taste. The taste of the land and the water flows through. Uh, we, we do already know some of this. You know, if you've got hard and soft water, people know that hard water can't get a phone, can get kind of shower gel or whatever, and soft water you can't. Uh, in a perfect world, you would have soft water for your washing and cleaning, because that's the definition of You would have hard water for drinking, because hard water has more nutritious minerals in it, and also it has a taste test as well, the bites. The French can taste the difference between uh, different types of mineral water, depending on where that water is. Is there a mineral water? Yeah, you need a little more hate that and we need to stop piling lightly. I don't think that's disgusting. But it's the minerality in the water that we really need to take. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's full of animals. And um, so I want to compare and contrast different, how different water effects from beer cells. And I went to Chester uh, Beach in, in the Southern Czech Republic. And um, a lot of continental Europe is quite far ahead of us in terms of mineral water. Uh, they recognise that things like if you've got water that's high in magnesium and calcium, it can be potentially harmful for babies. And so they sell a thing called baby water, which has very, very low mineral content to be famous. There's a scale for measuring that mineral content. And the well water from Chesapeake Beach, uh, where they do Budvar Lager, the minerality is so low it doesn't register on any of the tests to see whether it's low enough for, for baby water or not. They drill down through 275 metres of rock to get this water. And I fell in love with this whole aspect of water and brewing. Uh, my first tour around the world of brewery, uh, when the head brewer said, you know, it's basically taken 10,000 years to, to seep down through this rock and then drill down through it to get out of the water. So when that water comes up, um, it's coming up right here. Um, this is the water rushing up at all, you know, 100 gallons a second over. 
And you can't see it because it's so big. It's so big. As well, what's coming up there, that's the first time that water has been above ground for 9,000 years. Now, it's the first time it's been above ground. It's, it's not having any effect agriculture, technology, pollution, nothing. It's the purest, cleanest water in the world. If you brew the lager, that's perfect water. Lager is nice, delicate, it's clean. Uh, the soft water has often shine and subtle uh, and bitterness and spice. And it's perfect lager water. Which is why there's such a publish from lager. Because they're looking at different styles and say, oh, this one really works here. That looks different to uh, brewing cities onto the water brewing profile. If you go to Dublin, uh, it's the water that's a bit harder, it's got quite a lot of bicarbonate and calcium and things like this. If you're brewing a stout, uh, which had a, a stout, when you roast barley to get those back to flavors, you make it, uh, you make it more acidic. Uh, and, and the enzymes don't like that. So if you've got quite an alkaline water, it causes out the acidity created by the roasted barley. And you get this nice balance. And again, even the Dublin have no idea of this. But they see that when they brew the stout the water, it was really nice. The light was one of the nicest lights generally. The stout was really, really good. So it's like, okay, well, stout is going to brew in Good to burn on trains. And that green in some things. Off the scale. A sulfate, you don't really want them in a line. You know, they're going to make the like this really stringent, really bitter, really horrible. You put them in a pale ale, and it makes those hops taste bright, uh, lively, and gives a whole bit of life and sparkle. Bernard Trent is possibly the most famous beer exporting town the world has ever seen. And for hundreds of years, they didn't know why export beer really burn were as good as they were. But when Billy Pale Ale came around, Burton became a town of breweries. A town of 38 breweries with a few houses squeezed in between the gaps. Uh, breweries from London would be brewing water, because the brewery the water in London was perfectly brewing water. When they tried to bring pale ale, they realized they had to come to Burton. They would satellite breweries in Burton and send the pale ales down the back down to London from Burton. They didn't know why it was to that they started brewing pale ale in London and started doing Burton. The Burton brewing scientists. Uh, said, well, we've got to figure out why, why we're the best brewing town in the world. We spent ages working it all out until eventually they said, we've done it, we've figured it out. It's because of the middle composition of burnt water, uh, and it's because it's high sulfate, it's low in this, high in this. And the rest of the world went, thank you very much. I went away and asked if she added these salts and minerals to their water, and burned the spot overnight. Uh, the other brewers practical went home, got back to London, mixed in all the sulfates, and the process that still affected fertilization. Nightmare from uh, Australia or from San Diego or wherever else, they fertilized their water to make it like water from burnt on trend. Um, which is incredible. Now, in terms of how we value this incredible unique resource, so, so this is the kind of fairy tale well ingested the reason, the water that uh, creates the famous lager, uh, what the gave birds and hills about as a style. Is this kind of some reference there in terms of like this? Of modern version of fairy tale wells. So, what do you think Burton uh, well water looks like? How do we treat that? Well, this is the well in Burton on <laughs> where the famous, where the world's most famous pale ale water comes from. Uh, just inside, uh, 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 this is just by the railway station in Burton, cracked concrete. Uh, and there's another one, the Marston's one, is at the bottom of a small screen under a man on cover. And this, this, this for me is Burton, it's like, yeah, we've got the world's most famous. 
so both sides of town.
be in and out of the brewery in 14 days, like so many of the Colossi brands are, if you're lucky. It's basically, effectively, like bad sex. In, out, done. So. <laughs> so, if you think that's good sex, I sincerely worry about everybody else who's in your life. You, you, you probably, sorry, thumbs up. So. That's my advice for you. Should I say maybe selfishness? So, it is really, really not actually what you want to be drinking. Good lager. Good lager comes from German word lagen, which means to store. So you need to be maturing good lager. And there are actually really good reasons for this scientifically. So the science behind good lager is uh, actually when you store that beer, what the yeast does is it goes on a cleanup crew and it starts reabsorbing a lot of the problem fermentation aspects. So I've talked about this earlier and there's a there's a substance called acetaldehyde, which is the stuff that actually uh, sort of perfume companies and air freshener companies use to make pure green apple smell. So acetaldehyde in its pure form, thank you for that, actually smells like green apples. And it is extremely toxic. It's actually what your liver produces when it processes alcohol. So as far as your liver is concerned, it's the stuff that it's actually trying to kick out of your body. So when you put it back in, your liver is deeply confused. And it really, really doesn't know what to do with it. And, but it knows it's really toxic. So, hands up, and I'm going to put my hand up straight away because I know this. Hands up who's ever been on a night on the cheap pop, and you wake up the next morning, and you think, I feel bloody marvellous. I can't believe I had 12 pints of said commodity brand. <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. I've got no problems. I'm fine. And then about three o'clock in the morning, thinking, oh my fucking god. Did somebody get the number of that bus that just hit me? Who's got the chips? Who's got the, who's got the cookies? And who's got the pillow? Yeah, one day. There's not enough honest people in this room, is there? Right, it's happened to all of us, hasn't it? That's because what will happen is that your liver will attempt to reprocess that acetaldehyde. And it'll ignore the booze. And then what it will do is it'll go, right, I parked you, now I need to process you again, and then we'll go through it. And that's when you stop getting that, I'm still slightly drunk, everything's okay, and that's when that kicks in. There is no such thing as non-hangover alcohol, by the way. I don't give a monkey's what the natural wine and the biodynamic wine movement say. It's nonsense. There is a point where you can say better, better booze will give you a marginally less, hang less bad hangover, but there is no such thing as hangover-free alcohol. You will just feel marginally less shit the next day. So, everybody get about halfway down the glass? I need to do that, excuse me. Don't try that at home, kids, I'm professional. Right, so. Next move. So everybody about halfway down their glass, yeah? 
so otherwise this can get a little bit messy. I'd like to show you how to assess a beer. So the first step is to particularly, so wipe the, wipe the conversation off the outside of your glass, hold it up to the light, make sure you haven't got any friends, passengers or paddlers, nothing doing the backstroke in your beer, we all good? There's no added protein. Depends what time of night that, that works out. So, we're all good, yeah? So, next step is to put your hand firmly, unless you are wearing very heavily scented hand cream or you have aftershave or perfume there. If you, do, if you have that, then don't do that. Just make sure that you, you swirl like that. Okay? So, if you don't, nice firm clamp over the top. I see lots of people doing this kind of business quite a lot. Don't do that. Fun all use. Do that. Nice swell. Bring it up to your nose. And then take your hand away and take short, sharp sniffs. Bunny sniffs. <laughs> I, love, I, I, did, I was doing, a, doing an event yesterday and somebody actually then just did, went like that with their nose. It was absolutely adorable. So bunny sniffs. Don't snort your beer, you lot. I can see I've got the trouble table right behind me. Trust me, you're, you're within back of the head clipping distance. So, short, sharp sniffs. Why are we doing that? Which actually, it's not necessarily particularly important with this beer, but it's a, it's a, good, it's a good premise to have. So, short, sharp sniffs allow you to get used to any harsh smells, any hard alcohols, anything that's really, really vibrant and in your face. So then, the next thing is to take really decent deep sniffs. So, yep, do that again, and then hold it and think about it. Because actually, we don't spend enough time stopping to smell the beer. We just don't do that because it's beer, and we're British, and we're used to it, and it's what we have in pints. But actually. Now we've got so many more complicated, complex, high alcohol and interesting beers, it's actually genuinely worth stopping and doing. And I'll revisit that in a, in a bit. So, after that, the good bit. Take a damn good squeak. Wash it over your palate, or, you know, round your gob if you want to be Martin Desponsi. Make sure that you actually stop and, again, think about it. Out of interest, who's heard of the tongue map? That you have areas of sweet, sour, salty, bitter? Yeah? Somebody picking their hands up? It's bollocks. Sorry. <laughs> um, it is bollocks. Um, so I actually got taught that at school and I took great delight in bumping into an old science teacher in the tiny little village that I come from in Buckinghamshire and uh, saying, do you know that bit that you taught me? Rubbish, pal because he was a dick, and I really <laughs> it. So, it's nonsense. You do have two areas of your palate which have special receptors. One of which is for sourness, so down the side of your tongue and also down the side of your mouth. So you don't just have taste buds on your tongue. You have taste buds all over your mouth. You actually have them all over your body. Uh, actually, recent research has found that you have them all over the place, in your lungs, in your guts, everywhere. And it's actually about, really, it's about that bitterness thing and telling you that you need healthy food. It's something I'm pretty sure happens after every beer festival I come home after a weekend. So they're not really known for their salads at beer festivals. 
So, sourness. We all know it, it sort of starts here, sort of around your gum line, around the sides of your tongue, and then bitterness. Bitterness basically starts from the dangly bit at the back of your throat, goes down from there. So it's an evolutionary last line of defense. So please don't stop drinking, by the way, because we'll be bringing out the next beer in a few minutes. So it's an evolutionary last line of defense, because actually bitter normally means poison in the animal world. So in the animal world and in everywhere else, we're one of the very few animals who actively seek out bitterness as a pleasurable thing. So we actually seek out bitter, bitter greens, bitter vegetables, and so on and so forth. So we actually like that as a race. But it is also incredibly genetic as well. So, it's incredibly genetic as well. In the same way that actually coriander is one of the most divisive things in the world. That's a genetic thing. So, bitterness is something that is genetic, and whether you like it or not, it's very much bound up with genetics. Has anybody ever done the Marmite test, by the way? Then we do the Marmite online test. Do you like, love it or like it? They'll actually give you like that, uh, that swab test, and you can send it off, and you can find out whether it's genetic, whether you like Marmite. Who likes Marmite in the room? Wow. Yeah? Who hates it? Who doesn't give a shit? <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can kind of take it or leave it. I, I used to hate it, but it was one of those things that I kind of just went, sorry, it's the end of the world. So, just out of interest, who would normally never touch lager? Yeah? Leave your hand in the air if you quite like that one. Makes when you get a decent one, how, how your views change, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Keg is not always even filled. So, are we, are we going on the next one, my lovelies? Perfect. Right, I'm going to leave you guys for a few minutes and then we'll come out with the next bit. Okay, so, folks, so this is Bun Mill, um, this is their steel cut. So, it's an oats. Pale ale. So the steel cut thing, those of you who don't know, steel cut is something that a lot of people talk about for porridge oats. Uh, the Scots think that, that uh, steel cut is often the best porridge oat that you can have. Um, the lovely Scottish lady who's just popped outside for that probably, probably hopefully agree with me. Um, so it's, uh, it's really, it's about that cloudiness, it's not about newfangled any IPAs or anything like this is actually that's coming from the oats protein so when you try this obviously crack in a little bit the hop aroma on this is absolutely beautiful it's really tropical there's a high citrus in there as well it's a really beautiful smelling beer and there is a good body to it as well so in the same way that wheat beers have a good body Oat beers will have that actually, they will, they will have more of a body to them. So there is a certain aspect of sort of that, that's a very slight tongue coating, but not unpleasantly. So um, Sophie Durant, the one of the co-founders and head brewer, she's one of the most respected women in beer in the UK. She has been very fundamental in a lot of the training. She's worked for great maltsters. She's worked for hot factors, sorry, for the hot merchants, hot factors, um, and she is really genuinely and absolutely 
brilliant and intelligent and wonderful beer lady. So, hands up anybody who knows anybody who's celiac. This isn't just a good beer, it's gluten-free. So this is a gluten-free beer. So Soap, unfortunately, was diagnosed with quite severe celiac disease. She had basically just put it down to too many years in the beer industry and too much time out on the piss. Which, you know, to be honest, most of us do, but that's just mostly when I wake up going, where the hell did that bruise come from? So, but so it's genuinely been diagnosed with very severe gluten allergy to the point where she had to quit her job working for monsters because the dust would actually evoke a very bad reaction. So she now brews gluten-free beers. And I cannot bear the phrase of, it's a great beer for a gluten-free one. Because actually there's a brilliant enzyme that you can use in the brewing process these days which eliminates 99.9% .9 of gluten. It's called Clarex. So, it's unfortunately there is no standard for gluten-free. You can be Celiac Society approved, which is great for the UK. Doesn't apply to any other country in the world. You cannot in the US, for example, brew or say that your beer is gluten-free. Anyway. So it's a bit of a minefield, but she's not the only one. There are multiple really great gluten-free beers out there. So if you've got friends who have been suffering and saying, oh my God, I so want to come for a pint with you guys, but I can't. Or, you know, they've been drinking rancid apple or grape juice for a while. I drink both of those um, with great joy. Um, but seriously, if, you, if there are more and more great gluten-free beers out there, and actually they're just great beers, it's not just that they're gluten-free. So, going back to the oat thing and going back to what we call uh, sort of adjuncts or different malts in brewing, most of them that we use are for giving body. So as I said, this has got sort of a slightly uh, rounded body, it's got a little bit of viscosity which you'd expect from something that basically has porridge in it. Um, so it's got that nice rounded note. And this is the skill of the brewer. When you, We've had such a dialogue for so long about hops and about what hops in that? Oh, what's in this? What's in that? Mulch is the absolute living backbone of the beer. Without malts, which is basically barley, normally, which has been falled into the heat springtime, starts germinated, gets arrested in that germination process, and then starts getting toasted slightly to varying degrees. So from white bread through to brioche, slight light toffees, caramels, through to raisins, milk chocolate, dark chocolate, all the way out to coffee, which accounts for both colour and flavour in your beer. But the most important thing is it gives you the fermentable sugars. Um, what we do is we basically grind those up slightly, put them into a bloody great big pot, put hot water on there, and then we let the awesome little enzymes in barley do their work where they convert starches into sugars. And if you don't have sugar, you don't have booze. I'm out of a job and life gets a lot less fun. So, 
These are the backbones of the process, and I'll talk a little bit more about the brewing process later. So but these are the backbones that not enough people talk about for wine running. And it's all about hops, 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 hops. But actually, without malt, we don't have beer. So enjoy something that is very unusual. Who likes this one, by the way? Yeah? Anybody not like it? Yeah? I'd, I'd be interested to know why you don't like it, actually, because I, I actually know genuinely. Okay, so folks, so this is uh, the citrus saison from Wildcard. Um, there's a there's a kind of an elephant in the room that we're only just starting to talk about with beer, um, and it is beer be so white, beer be so male. The male thing's been been talked about for well about pretty much since I joined the industry about 20 years ago. Um, but very much about actually also we're talking about the lack of diversity in beer um, and it is something that I am incredibly proud of. Uh, Jagie's actually a hometown girl for you guys. Uh, Jager Wise who is the uh, one of the co-owners and head brewer at Wildcard. Um, so the Citrus Saison was brewed for the International Women's Day collaboration project which goes on all over the world. Uh, me. Personally, I've still not managed to be at any bloody brew days because I'm always on a freaking aeroplane somewhere. It's a, it's a, it's not a bad thing to happen. It's not a bad thing to happen, but it is also a bit of a pain in the ass because it's something I really want to uh, support. So this is about the best I can do at this point in time. So there was, a, I think there was about 14 female brewers that got together in the end for this beer, or, or female representatives for, from breweries who got together to brew this beer. So Saison, you will see a lot more now. So Saison is a, a French style, Belgian style. It's a farmhouse ale. You have, you have sort of a crossover. It's, it's a very, it's, you could start talking about the where it comes from, where it is, where it's at. It's actually, it's incredibly difficult. It's basically a farmhouse ale. So why is it called a farmhouse ale? Well, because it actually used to be to pay the workers. So if you were a travelling farmhand, um, you were literally living a subsistence lifestyle. So you were following the crops to get a roof over your head, some food in your belly, and maybe if you were really lucky, some booze as well, you were looking at going and working at farms. So you would follow the crops, you'd follow the seasons. So that's vitally important. We're actually part of that. Um, it literally goes from Eastern Europe, um, well actually it goes the other way, actually funny enough. It goes basically our season, our picking season, our growing season, and then it goes all the way across Europe and as the, as the weather sort of decreases, it ends up back in Eastern Europe and then it basically bounces back again. So this has been a really important part of agricultural life for centuries. So small beer, farmhands beer, and some of the bigger beers that were made purely to keep everybody happy. So your payment was partly in the roof over your head, partly in food and belly, and partly in booze. You never, you were very, very lucky if you actually got any cash. 
said subsistence lifestyle. So this saison, generally the properties that you're looking for from a saison or any farmhouse style is that you're looking for some pepperiness, you're looking for a very slight acidity and it's generally quite bone dry. All of this ticks the box. And also you have additives in there because basically farmers were just going to stick in whatever the hell fermented. It could be grapes, it could be malts, it could be grains of any sort, it could be fruits, it could be anything that would flavour it. And actually going way back in the day, it would have been very much, just have interest, he's having lambic in the room. Yeah, it basically would have been like lambic. If anybody wants to know what a lambic is, ask the person in a minute who put their hand up. Uh, or I will explain it if you want me to. So, all of these things were about hand-to-mouth existence. Fortunately, these days, not all of us have to do that. And we can get to enjoy the style in a slightly cleaner fashion. So this citrus saison had, uh, I believe, four different types of saison in it. I think it drinks incredibly well for 6.3%. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot pick up that level of alcohol in this beer. It's absolutely brilliant and refreshing and delicious. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy the saison. Look out for saisons. Oh, and uh, just as apropos, well, saisons really, uh, one of my dear friends, Mark Tranter, who owns Burning Sky, uh, won a BBC Food and Farming Awards drinks producer last night. So look out for Burning Sky saisons as well because they are absolutely wonderful. So, and also, isn't it nice to see beer getting recognised at national? It's good, isn't it? Let's see if we can get more of it on the Saturday morning TV, eh? Yeah. Totally. 
So this sound, this is a really historic style of beer. And actually, it nearly died out in Berlin. <laughs> oh, what's it? You mis literally miserable buggers table here. <laughs> interesting, exciting, and historic styles being resurrected. Uh, they pretty much saved Berlin Vice. There was one brand, and it was genuinely about to go under. The brewery was about to go under. And then all the American beer nerds started getting into Berlin Vice's home brewing it, started buying it as the archetypal style, and it had a renaissance. So, this is fantastic. Uh, Nikki, can you just hold off for a minute, please, babe? Thanks. So, this is the Renaissance, and this has been absolutely brilliant. There are beer styles all over the world that have literally gone down to one or two tiny little village breweries producing five gallons a month if you're lucky. And yet people have researched it, looked into it, found that it's interesting, floats their boat, my taste freaking horrible, but I'm a beer nerd and I, I can go and boast to my mates about it. So, yeah, I feel this table just has a little bit of that vibe. <laughs> so, so, it's all about actually experimentation. So, hands up who recoiled at the first sip. Okay, do me a favour, hold your nose and take another sip. sensation of you wanting to eat more. Uh, it's not MSG entirely, because there are many forms of umami, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say that because I'm sick of MSG being demonised. There is literally no scientific evidence that says to anybody, that anybody at all, anywhere in the world, that MSG causes you problems. When you eat a Chinese takeaway or something else, Asian food at the end of the night, and you wake up with a, with a mouth like a soul of Gandhi's flip-flop, that is because it's chock full of salt and you are chock full of booze. That is a perfect stall of dehydration. Umami can come from everything from aged yeast, like marmite or aged beers. It can come from seaweed. It can come from Parmesan cheese, Parma ham, 
All of these things are predicated around ageing. It comes from ribonucleotides, glutamic acids, glutamic salts, and various other forms and sources. I'm in danger of getting a bit nerdy at exactly the wrong point in this. So, I'm what we're doing here is we're actually activating that sound. So by getting you to close your nose, we all know that when we have a cold, you can't taste jack shit. So, by, by doing that, all I'm doing is I'm allowing you to activate your souring receptors. Flavour, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and your trigeminal as well, which is a whole other ball game. If you want to know about that, come and see me later because it's really boring. So, this is a whole different thing. So flavour is actually utterly individual. Who likes asparagus in the room? Who likes coriander? So that's really interesting, because actually genetically, this room is an anomaly. <laughs> Just out of interest, how many family trees and how many family sticks do we have? <laughs> so, but that's really interesting. Actually, this is a this, genuinely, this is a genetically anomalous room because you do not normally have anything more than 40% of people in the room who actually like coriander because it's actually extremely genetically divisive. I find it, I can kind of cope with it on a small level. In high levels, I find it tastes like soap. So I have a real problem with it. Um, beard only people, Sriracha Ace. Who knows what Sriracha Ace is? Oh, oh that's a very low level. Okay, oh yeah, Sriracha Ace. Okay, so keep your hands in the air. So beard only people who know what Sriracha Ace is, leave your hand in the air if you like it. I'm mostly with you. When used badly, it tastes like lemon pledge. And interestingly, that is the same, same uh, genetic markers and also the same aroma and flavour compounds as coriander. It is. So there we go. So there's a bit of bit hard time. So how we, how we, so hands up who likes this one? It's great. Yeah? and they like really sharp, acidic, dry white wines, and you want to do a little bit of a conversion therapy on them, away from the rancid grape juice, then please do try them on this style of beer. It is an almost guaranteed conversion. So I thought what we'd do, folks, is that we've only got a couple of beers left now. So I thought I really might like in uh, the new PR parlance a comfort break. Um, and also if anybody wants to go for a bag or anything like that, or just have a bit of a chat, we'll give a 10 minute break and then we'll come back, yeah? Cool? Another 
International Female Collaboration, the Sashi Fruited Stone Balloon, and this is a bock. Now, bock, there are two types of bock. And I do feel like I'm, I'm some sort of chicken wrangler at this point. Bock, bock. Everybody know that joke? Bock, bock, ready, ready? No, okay. It's about chicken taking, taking a, anyway, I'm, I'm going to, I'm terrible at jokes, so I won't do that, but it's my dad, it's one of my dad's favourite jokes. I wish he was here, actually. He's currently fishing in Scotland, the fucker. Um, so, uh, but he's a wonderful, wonderful joke teller. He can string out a joke for hours and have people in absolute pieces. Um, he's a tremendously charming man. And uh, every time I walk into my publishing company, all the women in the, it's mostly a, a very female dominated environment, and they'll all walk up to me and they'll have big hugs and I love them all dearly. I guarantee you the second question after how are you is, and how's your dad? He's a charming bugger. Anyway, so, Bok. There's two types of Bok. The first is German, and this is very much the style that this is in. It is a strong lager. So believe it or not, what you are drinking is a lager. So once again, going back to what I was talking about when we first had the, the, the Pivo at the beginning from Welbeck, lager is actually really a process, it's not a style. So that process of ageing and maturing it's very important to this, particularly to this style, when you get to the higher alcohols. So the difference between this and your average pale lager is that it uses different malts. So I was talking about earlier, malts are mainly barley, and particularly, definitely in this case, it's all about barley. So it's about how the barley's been toasted and roasted. So those sort of really quite nice... Uh, fruity characteristics and that slightly raisiny characteristic and that bready characteristic is all coming from the grains pretty much. This is not, again, this is not really about the hops, it's about the grains. And it's also the brilliant fact that I think, if memory serves, so it's my friend Denise who works for Wyman Malts who are the tip-top German maltsters. I believe that she got 18 different female brewers from all around the world to come and help brew this beer, which is quite an achievement. Because whilst actually historically, oh hello, I've just I've just, I've just been been whispered in my ear. Yeah, not very sexy. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> quite disappointed. Honestly, you come you come to Nottingham, you get promised things. So. <laughs> So, uh, this is actually the only cake in the country, I should have The only cake in the country, so you guys are really lucky because actually Denise um, is somebody who I've judged with in the US. She's, a, she's an American and I've judged with her a number of times in the US and she is absolutely unforgiving about her judging and I love how precise she is. It surprises me not that she ended up in Germany. So, this is a very, a very, very special thing, very dear to my heart. Is actually women were historically always the brewers. So it was part of, granted, Hearth and Home, 
But it was also one of the only ways that women, historically, prior to the Industrial Revolution, were able to earn a living whilst being upright. <laughs> I always loved the little pause when people were like, oh, oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, it was actually, if you were widowed, divorced, cast off, or never, never married in the first place, it was one of the few ways that it was actually legitimate for you to earn money. Although the real fucking kicker about it all is that even when they were brewing the best of the best beer, and it's actually, this is historically documented, they would still have to, to get top dollar, send out blokes to sell it for them. And do you know what, want to know what the pay gap was on that? <laughs> exactly the same fucking pay gap we're facing at the moment. <laughs> the irony. So, you know, same shit, different century. So, that little political segment side. So, this book is, for me, incredibly smooth, terrifyingly drinkable. Anybody who hasn't actually gone and looked at the pump clip, who wants to take a pop at the ABV on this? Here's a little bit smooth in it. Me on the other hand is not so much. So it's ridiculously smooth for 7%. So it is it's only 7%. Oh, it's only 7%. Nobody's driving, are they? <laughs> Dear Lord, if you were, park your car, take a taxi. So, 7% beer, you wouldn't think if you were just handed this, it would be so easy to drink a pint of this and not even think about it. Right up until you got out of your seat and attempted to go to Lou and walk into the pub So, enjoy that for the moment and then we will move on to the last bit. Uh, so just out of interest, who normally wouldn't drink dark beers? Leave your hand in the air. Hi. No beer shaming. <laughs> so leave your hand in the air if you like coffee or chocolate. There we go. Right. So I don't want you to approach this visually. I want you to approach this. Like it's a cold coffee with a hint of chocolate. So close your eyes. If you don't normally drink dark beers, close your eyes, smell it, and drink it. Once it finally arrives, you take The biggest thing is that hands up who thinks that dark beers have been told. Have been told the dark beers are more calorific. Hands in the air, I was. Hands in the air, who's been told uh, Guinness, for example, has iron in it? Yeah, that's bollocks. <laughs> if there's any iron in beer, the yeast will throw an utter moody and it will make something taste and smell 
like it's a cheap shit steak that's been left in the bottom of your fridge for three weeks. It's disgusting. So, it doesn't have iron, however, like so many things that start as urban myths and old wives tales and things like that, it actually has a marginal basis in science. So, all beer, but particularly dark beers, have a lot of niacin in them. So, niacin is a precursor to the uptake of iron in your blood. If you don't have niacin in your diet, it doesn't matter how many times you think you're Popeye and you eat all the spinach, which is, by the way, if you want more iron out of spinach, you need to cook it. Raw is useless. If you want to be absorbing iron, you need niacin in your diet. So what you need is actually whole grains. And brewing is all about the whole grains. So if you, need, if you want to, if you're anemic, and particularly this was also going back to uh, breastfeeding mums in the Industrial Revolution, where, you became a one, where they became a one-income household, and women would very much leave all of the food and all of the nourishment to either the children or the breadwinners, which were the men, what they'd do is they would starve themselves. So what medics, even basically quacks back then, and even through the years, they would say, drink some beer, because it will stop you being anemic. Because actually, when beer was roughly filtered, if filtered at all, it had a lot of very ready carbohydrates, lots of available bioavailable sugars, B vitamins, niacin, and soluble fiber, which is very important for anybody. So, these sorts of things, these are where these kind of things start. So, just to let you know, it's no more calorific. The stronger your beer gets, the more empty calories you have. So you drink a low ABV mild, it has less calories. You drink a strong imperial stout, it has more calories. It's as simple as that. Basically, the higher in alcohol you get, the more calories there are. And they're empty calories. But overall, you'll be pleased to know there's beer drinkers here this evening. There's been a 12-year study of beer versus every other alcoholic drink in the world. And beer drinkers live longer and more healthily by about 2.8 years. So, you know, I'm sorry we're all fucked financially, we haven't got any pensions, but you know, we're going to live longer. So, has everyone got their beer? No? No? We've got a table missing back here. How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And, uh, me. Four. Only. Three. Two. So, this is the... This is the wild card, Ace of Spades. I always take a pause at this point because there's always going to be people doing this. So, interestingly, we've gone through this sort of journey of alcohol levels. And a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, you should ramp up these things with alcohol levels and so on and so forth. Particularly when you're doing beer and food matching, or particularly when you're doing a tasting like this, it's about intensity of flavour. 
It's about actually saying what can your palette take, where do you want it to be, how does it actually work in this in this place. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, I like these guys. So, when you're doing, so I haven't really talked about beer and food matching, which is probably my, my big passion and what I'm very well known for in this industry. It's uh, a lot of people when they're doing beer and food matching, they think, oh, I need the blockbuster first. I need the huge pairing, I need the big whale. No. Don't do that. Go gentle. If you're going to do a three course meal, if you're going to do a five course meal, if you're going to do a ten course meal, if you want to go full show off, ramp it up gently. Because if you go in full whack, straight away, where do you go from there? Apart from possibly catatonic. Or, you know, downstairs on your ass, showing your knickers, it's all very old. So, do, if you're going to do a tasting for your friends, if you want to take these kind of principles home, then, and to your mates, and you want to convert people, ask them what they drink first. Try and find parity in the beers that you're serving. But also, go gentle and ramp it up from there. Because, you know, whilst I appreciate that you might not feel, given that I've been bellowing at you all evening, I've been gentle with you. I could have basically had you all under the table about three beers ago, and I don't mean that in a fun way. So, it's all about enjoyment, and actually, the great thing about lower alcohol, drinks like this is that you can extend it over an evening and once again I want to go back to the point that I made earlier beer is a social lubricant first and foremost whilst I'm a fucking massive nerd about it you guys don't need to be enjoy it don't overly think about it but please do respect it and respect the people who both make it and people like these guys who serve it I'm going to leave it there for now. If anybody wants to ask me any questions a bit later, then you're more than welcome. But can we have a massive round of applause for the staff? I appreciate your time and attention. Have a lovely evening. As I said, if you want to catch up with me, then great, but just let you know I'm going straight for the loop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it.